Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Church. Good morning to everyone who may be watching online. Everyone here. How many of you guys are enjoying the wet weather? Yes, one person. Yes. <laughs> I see your hand. <laughs> well, we definitely need it. We need the rain. I have a new friend up here, this set of flowers, <laughs> poinsettia. All right, so we're in um, Christmas season, so we're going to take a little pause from the book of Hebrews and do a, a study related to Christmas. And over all the years, the last five years here at this church, I have yet to teach from this passage, which is very shocking because... It's totally Christmas, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, Gospel of Luke. It's like, what were you doing all these Christmases before? I was teaching <laughs> Matthew and Isaiah, and <laughs> but Luke, Luke is where it's at today. The next few weeks, we'll be in Luke, and uh, on Christmas Eve, we'll have a one-hour service with the with a lot of singing, a lot of songs, and uh, a short, a short devotional. Luke, of course, Luke is the longest gospel. Luke actually writes a two-parter. One is called Luke's, the second part is called Acts. But the gospel of Luke is actually the longest gospel. And Luke is very detailed. And uh, But Luke, we're going to look at Luke 1, and starting in verse 5, and we're going to get to verse 25. Luke 1, <coughs> 5, verse 25. Now I'm just going to read through the whole verse, the section, and then go through verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and righteous requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the order of his division, according to the priest custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will not drink any wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedience of the added to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angels answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands before God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you to this uh, to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it happened that when the days of his priestly service were fulfilled, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my disgrace among men. This, of course, is the account of the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be the one who would go before Jesus to prepare the way for people to hear the gospel. I need to describe, first of all, the, the setting of the time, because it's very significant, the timing of it. It says in verse 5, in the days of Herod. There's a couple of things that are going on during this time. First of all, one is the fact, who is this Herod character? His, his name is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was um, a very shrewd political leader. His father uh, was named Antipor, and Antipor was a friend and ally of Julius Caesar. And because of this, Herod became king, first of all, of, of Galilee area, and then later on king of Judea because of his uh, political pull with the Romans. He actually was uh, appointed by the Senate, and Mark Antony of Cleopatra and Mark Antony uh, appointed him. He was a very uh, shrewd leader. He would get rid of the Roman uh, enemies, and he became king of Judea. Uh, he was very ambitious. He was a short man of four feet eleven. Yeah, for you, you under five footers, you have, you're four eleven. Okay, Herod the Great was. In one said he had he had some some good things he did during a famine he actually sold a lot of the gold in the palace to uh, to feed the poor. But he was um, very ambitious with building many of the cities he had built from the ground up in in Israel and Judea. Uh, he built what is called the Herodium, which is kind of like a, a, a stronghold in Jerusalem. You can go see it today. He built a fortress called Masada, which is very famous and. Israel's history. It's by the Dead Sea. We'll see it for those of us who are going. But one of his greatest accomplishments was taking Zerubbabel's temple and rebuilding that and became Herod's temple. And that was the temple that Jesus would visit. He actually uh, would live only a few years past Jesus' birth. So he was a man of uh, profound uh, leadership qualities. He was a great orator, but he was also 
a very evil man and paranoid. He married, um, he actually married a Jewish lady. He wasn't Jewish himself. He was an Idiomenian, which is a relative of Esau. And that area was below Judah. And he was, so he wasn't really accepted by the Jews. He was king of Judea, king of the Jews, but he wasn't Jewish. So he decided to marry a very prominent Jewish daughter who, whose family was part of the priestly family to sort of ingratiate himself to the Jewish people. But he became very par paranoid. He had his wife killed, his mother-in-law killed, a couple sons killed, his brother-in-law killed, because he was paranoid that somebody would take his throne. In Matthew's Gospel, when the Magi came and said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews, that wasn't a good thing because he killed babies two years and under. That's Herod the Great. So in one sense, it's a very dark time. Politically, it's a dark time, but religiously, it's also a dark time because God hasn't spoken for 400 years. The last time, the last prophet that spoke was Malachi. If I go to your left, two books over, right be, uh, at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi uh, gives a hint of what's going to happen in the last days. And in chapter, well, there's two passages, chapter 4 and chapter 3. So let's go to chapter 3. Verse 1 says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. And then in chapter 4 of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, he says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land, devoiding it of destruction. These are prophetic references that uh, the angel says this applies to John the Baptist. And even Jesus says, if you would believe it, that John was Elijah, or he came in the spirit of Elijah, to prepare my way. So 400 years have passed since the last prophet. 400 years of silence. Imagine the entire existence of the United States and no prophetic word. It was a very, uh, a very silent time and very dark time. But as it was, there was a priest, and his name is Zechariah. Now, Zechariah's name means God remembers. <laughs> God remembers. It says that he was a division of Abijah. What does that mean? Okay, if you were a son of Levi, a son of Aaron, you were in the priestly clan. At this time, there was between 18,000 and 20,000 priests or people that can qualify as a priest. That's a lot. So they, had, they divided the priestly uh, group into divisions. Originally, David did this, and they divided into 24 divisions. And after the Babylonian captivity, there was only four and so they renamed several until they had 24 again. So he was of line of Abijah, but maybe not related. But the idea is this. As a priest, you would serve two weeks out of the year, one week twice a year. Besides the holy days of Pentecost and, and Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles, which everyone went to, your normal priesthood uh, service was 
two times per year, each one week in lunch. And that was a highlight. I mean, to be able to serve as a priest and to, and to help out in some capacity was a tremendous honor to do. And you look forward to that if you were a priest. Zacharias uh, is, is of a priestly line, and he's married to, a, uh, it says, the daughter of Aaron named Elizabeth. That means that she also came from a priestly line. Her heritage was also through Aaron. So both of them had, her dad was a priest, and he was a priest, and so that was even the best of both worlds. You were supposed to, as a priest, marry uh, you know, an Israelite lady, but to marry a woman who was also a priestly descent was, was a, even, as a, that was the best, right? So they, you know, he, he married right. He married the right lady. And her, her name is Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's name means my God is in abundance or my God has sworn. Like he, my God is, is, my, is, my, um, is my fortune, my abundance. That's what her name means. And so, <clears throat> during the days when it was dark, during the days when it was silent, here are two normal people, highly pedigreed, a priestly descent. And verse 6 says that they were both righteous in the sight of God. They were good people. They conformed to the law. They conformed to uh, the expectations of the law. They were faithful people faithful to the commandments, uh, they were righteous, blameless. They were consistent, they were just, they conformed to God's. If anyone deserved to have something good happen to them, it was these people, right? They, they did everything right. Everything right. And it says they were righteous before in the sight of God. It's one thing to be righteous in the sight of man, but righteous before God. He sees everything, right? You know, we show people our best side, <laughs> except our spouse, right? <laughs> they know the truth, you know? But, but before God, they were blameless and righteous walking blamelessly in all the commandments. In fact, it says of Abraham, Abraham is visited by God, and God says, uh, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Without guilt. Noah found grace in the sight of God because he was righteous. The expectation of that day was that if you lived righteously, God would bless you. That was the expectation. In fact, Deuteronomy 6 says, It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as He has commanded us. So the expectation was for God's blessing. Righteous before God of the, same, of the right family. But of course, there's a problem. Verse 6. But they had no child. How many of you guys have been in a place where you say, God, I have done everything right, but somehow something's not right because my prayers aren't being answered, or I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but something's missing. How many of you guys have, have been there before? I've given, I've tithed, I've served, I've prayed, I've fasted. I've fasted a whole long time, God. I fasted a whole day, 
the whole week, whatever it was. I, I, I've done, you know, and yet, what gives with the barrenness, right? These are normal people. We can relate to them. They were both advanced in years. They had no child. Elizabeth was barren. And of course, that sounds very familiar for those of us who have been in the Old Testament. We have heard this story before, right? Sarah's barren. Rachel's barren. Rebecca's barren. Samson's mom's barren. Samuel's mom's barren. What's in the drinking water? I don't know what, but... <laughs> but and that's a troubling thing. It's a difficult thing. In those days, if you didn't have children, you thought you were cursed. In fact, later on in John's Gospel, somebody's born blind and say, well, who sinned? That this guy's, why is this person blind? Why is she barren? What happened? Imagine the arguments that happened. What, you know, what's, what are we doing? We're doing everything right. Notice something here. Verse 8. It happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the order of his division, she's barren, they're old, and yet he's faithful. She's faithful. You know, like when it's dark, when, it's, when it, things aren't happening the way, it's, they're still faithful. Right? God hasn't spoken in 400 years. We're old. We've prayed that prayer, and I'm still being faithful to God. Now, that's a test of faith, I think. Remaining faithful, though what your expectations were have not happened in the way you would want them to happen. You're still faithful to God. Because it's not you serving God to get something from God. It's not a tit for tat, you know. It's you're serving God because God's worthy of service. Amen? He is faithfully serving God despite difficult times, despite all the things that have happened. They have remained faithful. In fact, later on in Luke's gospel, we'll meet two other people who were faithful. And I want uh, uh, Simeon and, uh, and uh, Anna, right? Who were, who were both faithful despite things happening or not happening. She wasn't married for many years, you know? Remaining faithful despite things not happening according to our Tam Tybo and Platt, they are the epitome of what it really means. It's to serve God because he, just, he deserves to be served. Now, it happened while they were serving, while he was serving in his priestly service before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, uh, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary. Now, what would happen here is, now this is significant. Because there were so many priests who were serving, to be chosen to then go into the sanctuary was like winning the lottery. This was a once-in-a-lifetime. He was chosen by lot to then be the one to go into the actual tent, the actual structure to go into the holy place, not the holy of holies. We've seen that before. That's the place for the high priest. And during every day, there would be an offering and incense burned. There would be an offering, it would be incense in the morning, then offering, and then an offering in the evening followed by incense. So they're couched by incense burning. He would take coal from the main altar that's outside 
in the main courtyard. And then he would take it and put, uh, put some incense in this little thing, you know, and they would, he would offer it before, before the altar of incense, which was right in front of the tent with the Holy of Holies. To be chosen to do that is very significant. Because most priests couldn't get that done. And you, if you got that, that was once in your life. To go and have that special privilege. And so what he would do then, this, the priest would, would offer the sacrifice, and, and he, would, uh, he would bring their incense, and he would also lay prostrate. Is that the word? It's not, it's not, the, it's not the... He would prostrate on his face before God. While he's doing that and praying... This happens to be the nighttime service because that's why everyone is outside praying. They're all gathered in prayer. He's in prayer offering the, the, the incense and they're in prayer praying for him. The whole thing is couched with prayer. He serves faithfully. He serves and it says... Verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense offering. That's the afternoon slash evening prayer. It actually, they started the processes in the afternoon, mid-afternoon, to get started for it. And then they took uh, the offering, uh, the incense offering, an hour later. So that coincided later on with the, uh, the hour of prayer. But this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing that many people didn't have happen. Incense in this time, of course, is a picture of prayer. Everything is enveloped in prayer. Our service to God ought to start and end with prayer. Amen? Prayer leads to the service of God, and then the prayer ought to be the conclusion of our service to God. Prayer ought to be the, the aroma that goes before God is in prayer. What we start, what we do, everything for the Lord ought to be, had to be, the aroma of prayer preceding us and the aroma of prayer coming after us. This isn't just about ritual. It's about relationship with God. And the scripture talks about how prayer is counted like incense. And Psalm 141 says, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up my hands as an evening offering. Evening offering. Remember, the evening offering and the prayers are happening at the same time. That's why we raise our hands. You know that. We, don't, we do it as an offering to God in full surrender. Revelation 5, 8 says that when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 21 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. He's chosen by a lot to go in and minister before the Lord, just like so many priests for the last 400 years, year by year, faithfully serving God. Verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. 
he's going about his service, isn't he? He's doing his normal thing. He's, he's in the midst of doing his, his routine, so to speak, right? In, in the midst of serving God in a normal way. And yet something extraordinary happens. See, God, see, you can't force God's hand to move when you want him to move. It's often in the midst of you just faithfully serving God that he decides to move on something. He decides to give you answers of prayer. He decides to, to reveal things about himself. He, he decides to, to direct you. In the midst of just you faithfully serving him, God is moving. And though God has been silent for 400 years, he is not God's silence doesn't mean his absence. God's silence doesn't mean his inactivity. God's very active even when he's silent. It's the, the will of God with the timing of God. This angel appears before him. It's on the right side of the altar of incense, which means it's the side of, the, of favor. It's between the altar and the candlestick. Of the, high, of the holy place. I'm dropping my notes. God's silence does not mean he's not working. God's silence really doesn't mean anything. He's still working. I don't know about you, but his silence sometimes drives me crazy. <laughs> Are you guys with me on that? Because you wonder, did I do something wrong, God? Have I, have I gone off so far off course that I can't, and I'm out of earsight of you? And we, we kind of, it's like little babies, little children. They cry out for their mommies, right? You know, mom, mom, where are you? My mom, hopefully my mom's watching, you know. Because we need that reassurance, right? We need that reassurance that we're, we're okay. We're on the, we're, we're safe, right? I remember, um, Years ago, I taught, I taught a sermon on, on, the, the Lord's, on, the, on the Lord being a shepherd. And I remember reading there was a, when, when sh- the sheep know their shepherd's voices. How far? What verse am I in? 11. Okay. Can I just put pause on here? We have to be out here by noon, which means I have to end by 11.10, 11.15, because we have to, because they have a recital in here right after us so leave the chair set up it's just okay so i'm okay just leave the chair set up we'll just take tables and let's okay unpause so as the the sheep know their shepherd's voice a shepherd will call out with a special call he'll like do a special whistle a special they'll know that right but if it gets if they're in a trail let's say there's a mountain here you know let's run this cliff right here and it's foggy what will happen is the shepherd will take his staff and he will tap the side of the of the hill just to let the sheep know i'm still here it's foggy you can't see me sheep but you can hear my voice god's silence doesn't mean he's he's gone <laughs> to stay the course remain faithful right An angel, verse 11, of the Lord appears to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. That's like every single person who has seen an angel in scripture has the same reaction. They're afraid. How could you not? You're seeing a different kind of being that's way bigger and more powerful than you. Yes, you're afraid. And praise the Lord, the first thing he says, 
Don't fear. Don't fear, right? Fear not. The first word from God in 400 years is what? Don't be afraid. The first words out of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount are blessed. And the first words out of this angel before that time is fear not. Fear not. Fear not. I'm still in control, right? Fear not. My plan's going to happen. Fear not. I'm still sovereign. I'm still good. Tap, tap, tap. You still hear me, right? I'm still here. I haven't moved. Fear not. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not fear, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Zechariah's name means what? God remembers. God remembers. God remembers. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now, what prayer are you talking about? Because when he goes into offer incense, he's going to be praying. Of course, he's probably praying for the nation because they're under Roman rule. It's been 400 years of silence. Perhaps he's praying for the deliverance of Israel, right, from the Romans and for the Messiah to come because Malachi said, hey, my servant's going to come before that day to, to, to set you all free, right? Perhaps he's praying for that, or perhaps it's a prayer that he and the missus prayed for a long time ago. Of course, they're now advanced in years, and what old person is praying for a child, right? You're past that stage, right? You're praying for your little, your little nieces and nephews and grandnieces and nephews and for their to grow. But you've, you've given up that prayer. Who prays for, for a child at your age? Elizabeth and Zechariah? God has heard your prayer and your wife will bear you a son. And you'll, excuse me? You, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why now, God. Why now? See, sometimes we forget the prayers we've offered to God, but God doesn't forget our prayers, does he? God remembers what you've forgotten. Some people have prayed for something for so long, and then you gave up. He's like, well, it must not be God's will. It may be God's will, but not the right time. It may be God's will, but in a different kind of way. In fact, what Zechariah is going to learn here is, your prayer for a child way back when was for you and your family to have have a child which is normal. God's answer was, I'm going to answer that prayer with a whole much bigger significance to that prayer. It's interesting that Samuel's mom, Hannah, was, 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 was desperate for God to give her a child because, you know, she, like other women, everyone wants a child. But when she changed her in prayer and says, Lord, give me a child and I'll give him right back to you. Oh, that's the prayer I'm looking for. Now, I'm not going to get into the difficulties of barrenness that's, and for women. I understand that's, that's something. And so that's, you know. But here is God is answering a prayer that was forgotten so long ago. Zechariah, your name in God means God remembers. And I'm remembering your prayer. And by the way, the answer is way bigger than you expected. This is bigger. Than, see, sometimes God wants us to realize to pray for things that are bigger than just me, my personal, my selfish needs, Right? Let it be that my prayer morphs into something more significant. God, I'm giving it back to you. And of course, your wife will bear you a son. You'll call his name John. That's my name. In Hebrew, it's Yachanan. It means God is gracious. 
And if there's anything that when I think about the Lord, I think about his grace. Because I've been the recipient of the grace. And I think all of us have. John will live very consecrated. He, you will have, first of all, verse 14, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Years of praying, years of waiting, maybe sometimes giving up on that prayer, but God is answering in his time. For he will be great, verse 15, in the sight of the Lord, and he will not drink any wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Some people think that perhaps he's a Nazarite, because Nazarites took a vow of not drinking strong drink. They also didn't cut their hair. They also didn't touch dead things. We don't know, or he's probably just an aesthetic, but, but he was fully consecrated to God. Instead of, instead of being controlled by wine and liquor, it was the Holy Spirit. Even from, even from his mother's womb, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll see this later on in the chapter when Mary and Elizabeth get together and, and the baby leaps within Elizabeth's womb and says, hey, my, my, the mother of my Lord is here. Let me just back up real quick. When somebody says that 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 person inside your tummy when you're pregnant is not a person, the scripture tells otherwise, doesn't it? Amen? Amen. For, 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 for a little guy to have, be filled with the Holy Spirit and leap for joy when he knows that's a person there. From conception, you are a person. I can just go off all on that route. And... and and now he's that person. Jesus was a real person when he was in his mother's womb. In fact, God not only knows that that's a person, he knows the, the whole future of that person. Can you imagine if an angel of the Lord would appear to every, before every pregnant lady? Imagine everyone who finds out they're pregnant. An angel comes to and say, you're pregnant, and you'll have a daughter, and she will be da-da-da, or he, he'll have a son. He'll be da-da. What would that do to the attitude of the young woman. Now, Mary is a teenager at this point. Elizabeth's much, much older. What would that do to the attitude? Now, this is a side, this is not part of my sermon. This is thoughts that come in through my mind of the value of knowing that you have a child within you. See, God is answering prayers that you have forgotten about. God's answering prayers that that perhaps um, you've given up on. And God is moving, even in the midst of routine, normal service for him, even the fact that he is chosen by Lot, and he himself is now by himself in the holy place where an angel is there and say, now I've got answer to your prayer. He wasn't looking for this. He didn't say, I'm going to go in the holy place and God's going to appear to me as an angel. No, 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 no. That didn't happen. But God is sovereign over that. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 15, yet from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the fathers back to the children and disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God is actually answering two prayers in one. Their personal prayer of give us a child, and secondly, the prayer of Israel, give us the Messiah. 
This is much bigger than just Elizabeth and Zechariah, right? This now involves the entire nation and eventually the whole world. God has heard your prayer, just like he told Isaac. Isaac prayed for his wife because she was barren. It says, he will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. One of the things that Elijah did was to call people to repentance. To call people to full devotion to him. And during this time, Israel had gone away of devotion to the Lord. We, we live in a very similar time, don't we? Much of the, of, and you guys, you guys see this, the, 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 it's, things are fading. Getting darker and darker in one sense, but... There are people like Zechariah in this room who are faithful to God. You've been faithful, you'll remain faithful, and God will use you. Like Elijah, John will go to prepare the way for the Lord, saying, make ready a people, make ready the way of the Lord. Verse 18. I know I'm going through this quickly. We'll come back at it next time. Just... This, would get, this, is, this whole thing gets me. Zechariah, I'm giving you wonderful news. You're going to have a boy, and he's going to be greatly significant. He's going to go before God. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to be used by God to turn the hearts. In fact, go, go to Malachi. Go to Malachi real fast. Go to Malachi. Some, come on, Malachi. Malachi. That's right. Finally, an Italian made it in there. No. Malachi. Verse Chapter 4, very last verse of the Old Testament. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. What's that speaking of? One of the things that happens when things get darker and things get, get less and less godly is relationships break up, right? Divisions happen. At the core of it is in between family members. Father and son, son and uh, father and daughter, mother and daughter. That, that's, that's where Satan attacks. Where does he appear in Genesis? In the, in the Garden of Eden, in the very core of relationship between them and God, right? And also between Adam and Eve, right? This woman you gave me, he did it, she did it. And, and that's, that's where he attacks. And what happens here is, is that now, part of the fact, if you, if you call yourself a Christian, that God wants you to heal those relationships between you and the family members. Between you, That's where it happens. Just because you go to church and raise your hands and sing hallelujah doesn't mean nothing. If your relationships are messed up, right? That's, 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 the, that's, the, that's, the, that's what God struck. He's like, let me work on your relationships with one another, within your family, within your friends. I mean, being you, that's first. But if this doesn't happen, then this has to happen too, right? So when John comes on the scene and says, hey, prepare for God, what is that? Hey, treat one another kindly. Hey, if you have extra cloak, give it to a person. If you don't take more taxes than you can take. You know, all these kind of stuff that John would get ready for the Lord. But verse 18 is what gets me. And I know I have to finish in five minutes, okay, or three minutes. And I have to do communion, okay? So I'm going to be like the guy from FedEx commercial. (laughs) I apologize. I just tell you, because they have resettles after us, and so I'm I'm feeling pressed for time. But look at Zechariah's answer. All the after us, all this wonderful news is this. What does Zechariah say? 
How do I know this? Now, he's not asking. He's asking because he doesn't believe it. He's a skeptic. Prove it to me, basically. How do I know? Give me a sign. Where is he at? And who's before him? <laughs> How do you respond when you hear good news? With disbelief, skepticism? I don't know if I believe that. You hold your hands and you're skeptical. That doesn't fit God's pattern. That doesn't fit, you know, what I think the God should be doing, you know? And you become a skeptic. I just gave you good news, and I'm an angel. In fact, he says, when, when Zechariah stresses, I'm an old, well, he says, how do I know? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced years. And here's Gabriel's response. He says, I'm Gabriel. I stand before God, and I was sent to speak to you these things. See, God wants us to have childlike faith. Yes, he wants to be innocent as doves and discerning as as serpents, right? But when you have an angel stand before God and you are saying, now prove it, angel, something's radically wrong. (laughs) Sometimes it's okay, it is okay to hear and receive God's news with simple faith and say, thank you. Not prove it, show me a sign. That's what they said to Jesus. Well, prove it, he just got finishing feeding 5,000, raising somebody from the dead, now prove that you're the Messiah because we don't want to believe because we're skeptics. How do you hear good news? Is it with skepticism or with joy and faith and say, thank you? Maybe this is too good to be true. Maybe this prayer has been something I pray and I give up because it's so, now you're answering, it's like, God's answering your prayer and it feels too good to be true, but bless the Lord, he's answering your prayer, amen? Bless the Lord, he's moving. How I know this for sure? This is different than Mary's question. Mary's question is, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I've never been with him. And so explain the... <laughs> but this is different. This is God, prove it to me or I won't believe you. Now that is not a good place to be. Now bless the Lord, he's still... God's promise is not dependent on his faith. He says, I'm Gabriel who stands before God and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent. You'll be silent in fact, you'll be deaf and dumb for, for the next nine months until the baby's delivered. And during that time, God's going to teach you. But guess what? God's will is still going to happen despite your unbelief. Well, the Greek indicates that because he has to make motions, the, apparently he may have been deaf as well. The Greek hints at the fact that he may have been deaf. That's why he had to make signs. Otherwise, he could have talk, just talked. All we know is he lived the next nine months in silence. And even though in silence, God still spoke. In fact, sometimes God has to bring us to sign a place for us to hear him, right? Sometimes we have to just shut up, excuse me, be quiet, and, and be in a place where God says, now you, now you listen. Because sometimes we're directing God too much and trying to tell him what to do and how to run the universe and how to run people's lives. And God says, shh, quiet now, let me speak. If we're too busy talking, we can't hear God talking. Amen? And Zechariah, when his mouth was open after those, those nine months, oh, he had some wonderful things to say. Why? Because he listened. And he li- now, we'll get into that later on. God answers prayers that have been forgotten. 
He doubts. You know what doubt is? Doubt is when you forget the faithfulness of God. Zechariah, have you not remembered that God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah? And Rachel and Rebecca and Samuel, Sam, uh, Hannah and Samson's mom. And so many. Have you forgotten God's faithfulness? Your name means God remembers. By the way, Gabriel's name means God is my strength. Zechariah, God remembers. Elizabeth, God is my abundance, my portion. Gabriel, God is my strength. John, God is gracious. Who's been glorified in all this? God. God speaks even during the silent times. And his will will be done. And John will become the forerunner to Jesus, the Messiah. I'm going to stop here. We'll continue next, next week. We're going to have a time of communion because, because everything that John points to is pointing to Christ. And the fact that one day Jesus didn't, wasn't born just to be born. He was born to live and to die. We can have... Uh, Come, uh, maybe um, a couple guys or somebody come up to uh, to pass. We're gonna do the our our communion service. Uh, no, just take one here. We do. Yeah, it's underneath. So take. We have two cups. Two cups. We celebrate Christmas for the birth of Christ and of course the Last Supper, the communion for the death of Christ. We celebrate the fact that Christ was faithful to God despite our faithlessness or our, even our questions. God's plan will be fulfilled he calls us to be faithful, even when it's difficult and dark. He calls us to He calls us though to rejoice at the good news of Jesus Christ. close your eyes, I want to pray and ask you also a question. How do you respond when you hear good news? 
Is it with faith or is it with doubt? Father, I just thank you for your word and thank you for, we thank you that we come into the Christmas time and of course we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but Jesus was born to ultimately be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. He's not a baby anymore. He's the risen Savior, our Lord, and our King, and our God. Lord, thank you for answered prayers. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that though when things are quiet, you're still working, you're still moving. Thank you, Lord, that you purchased salvation for us, for people that are forgetful, for those who are sinful, not we don't realize your plan, Lord. Paul writes that when they were gathered together, he says, For I have received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was being betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Let's have the second cup. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you willingly gave your body to be broken for us. Maybe we don't realize that such significance of that, Lord, but the Son of God, who didn't deserve this, Lord, you didn't deserve this, but you willingly allowed yourself to be broken for us. We say thank you, Lord. We believe you and we love you. Let's partake together of the bread. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed. Your innocent blood, your spotless blood. As John would proclaim, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All sin was poured out on you, Lord Jesus, and your innocent blood was spilled for us. It washes our sins away. It's our propitiation before God. But let us taste and see that the Lord is good, that there's sweetness and salvation because of the blood that was spilled. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Can we stand up?
Normally, I do the uh, the ironic blessing, and I pronounce it like this over you. But it'd be cool to sing it. Do you know the tune to that? The Lord bless yeah, you. Can you do that? Let's do that. Because I can't sing. <laughs> I have not been gifted with the song voice. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. I can I can lip sync but I can't carry things either. God's blessing on you this week, and uh, it's Christmas time. We encourage you, and we also pray blessing on our dear brother and sister John and Eunice as they travel back to Nigeria. May the Lord go with you, bless you, protect you, and keep you. May he refresh your spirit and your soul. May he use you mightily in your country and bring you back here eventually someday. We love the fact that, that he is God of of God and Lord of Lords. We also pray for these children that will receive these gifts. We give you praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if uh, somebody can help Rayetta load the car, and then let's keep the seats. Okay, we're going to get